Welcome to the Adult Candy Podcast. I'm Miss Crystal, your host and idea slinger. What is adult candy about? Well, it's dedicated to cultivating creativity and sensuality in adults, which, let's be honest, is what we all want more of anyway. This exploration of mindful indulgence is in conversations with a very delicious mix of rebels, noted creatives, and sex-positive advocates of an imaginative variety. We dig into process and tools for facing fears and chasing dreams and keeping the magic in running the business of creative sexy cool. While this is absolutely going to be explicit with adult content and bursting with very sexy, the mission here is about embracing and accepting pleasure and desire, which is an internal process. And that is the foundation for any type of meaningful intimacy, passion, or sexual prowess. So buckle up or unbuckle or buckle down because in these very bizarro times, we absolutely can't go back. We go through. Okay. The uh, beginnings. How did adult candy happen? And so originally I had a radio show in San Francisco called Our Cultural Rehab. And um, essentially what it was is, um, I mean, I've always been deeply dissatisfied in society. Like even when I was a little girl, I was like, what is this? This is crazy. This is wrong. And I think that most people feel that way. You know, we wake up every morning, we're just like, "Mm, there's something not quite totally right about things, and yet here we are, this is society, this is the world we live in. And so I've always kind of been curious into how do you integrate the, like, uh, unholy feeling that you have, and yet the... The, like fact that you live in the world right like huh? I live in society I'm an American girl I still have American things and my mind is sort of set this way but I know something's wrong how can I shift it okay so I interviewed lots of people about you know how they like are slightly shifting the cultural experience that they're having what are little things that you can do and that was the radio show and it was great um, we did it would be a uh, WTF versus OMG, so what the fuck is wrong with the world, and oh my god, that's amazing and brilliant, right? Okay. And then um, i do the interview, and then I would play a um, playlist of the guests' anthems, like music that they loved. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then we'd just like sit and talk about their favorite music, and it was amazing. It was like the best interview. They loved it because everyone wants to talk about their favorite music, right? Yeah. And you get to see them in a totally different way. Yeah. You know? So it was like when Open Air used to do their, uh, sorry, <laughs> indie or whatever the fuck it's called, when they used to do their like uh, takeovers, and they would have like the guest artists come in and do their like playlists. It's, it's um, great. It I is, love that shit. It is so actually personal. And, you know, I mean, like, there's nothing more amazing than watching Midori, the premier Japanese rope bondage dominatrix yeah. on the planet, like, sing Willie Nelson. That's I mean, fucking rad. you just go to a whole other place in your life. And um, it was great. 
Um, time goes on and I continue, I like do this blog where I'm just constantly ranting about like why is the world the way it is yeah. and how can we fix it and all those sorts of things. And it's funny because I discovered my zine from when I was a teenager and I had this uh, column called the Tallulah Drew column. Okay. And in that column, I was also ranting and raving about how fucked up everything is and why are we doing this? It's like, clearly this is my calling. Um, when I got back to Denver, I did a, um, I kind of had this realization that the, the culmination of all of my studies and all of my fascinations was that it really was sexuality that, that was the key that yeah. I wanted to focus on. And I love, you know, uh, the art world and creativity and sexuality and sensuality. I love all of those things. And those are the things that are cultivated for yourself, right? And they are things that if you are good with, or if you explore those things, you are less likely to be influenced by society because those are the things that society uses to make you feel inferior or insecure, you know, that has shame around it. And therefore you buy stuff in order to make yourself feel sexy, loved, cool, all right. of those stuff, right? right? So I made an app called Very Spicy Dice, which is a dice game that has, and you shake it up and you can do, you know, regular sexy dice, but you can also do bondage dice, you can do tantra dice. So it's this idea of exploring sexuality without kind of the commitment of an actual conversation or actual, you know, stuff. Right. It's easy, right? Easy intro. And then uh, Adult Candy has kind of evolved from that game to actually having conversations with people who are still in that the world of creative, the world of sensual, and um, offering insights and tools and just perspective on how to get back into creating creativity and sensuality for yourself. Because I believe that that's ultimately the way back to sanity, or to, to do a shift in cultural revolution, right? Because we've got 4,000 years of shame culture around um, beauty, around creativity, around sexuality and sensuality. Mm -hmm. And specifically, you know, when you think about like not just the wounds that women have, but the wounds that men have in them having a sense of sex positivity, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, a man is given, you know, at 14, they're like, here's your porn, you need to like go directly to sex. Yeah. Go find sex. Yeah. And that's it, that's the goal. There's no runway for self-exploration about uh, sensual experience and what they like, right? It, all, it immediately becomes externalized. And in that, I think that that is just, yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, to not even have that muscle built in any way, shape, or form and try and, you know, uh, graduate to relationship, graduate to you know, uh, personal sense of satisfaction and, 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 and inner peace if you don't have any of that work done or space for that done. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what Adult Candy is. And why I thought it would be great for you to be on the show okay. is because, A, you're a magician, so that's always like, what the well, hell is a magician, okay. right? Like, you know, how, like, uh, because that's such an interesting mix of like, creative internally and performance and 
you know, like there's just all of these things. There's things. Okay. There's all of, I'm so curious about that. But also, I'm really intrigued on not just like the nature of like you know how what the creative is behind being a magician, but also in you going over to because you're uh, you know you do circus and yeah. um, is it aerial or yeah. is yes yeah and that's a I can only that's a very sensual act yes right very much so and so like the process of like being in community of that and being like all of a sudden like physically discovering yourself in a way that is like actively a sensual thing it's not you know it's not tough or uh, combative or something it's a very and I don't want to say that it's feminine but it is this very um, fluid right oh yeah no it's it's super it's super feminine but that's like kind of the whole entire beauty of it right. of it being super feminine is that it's it's a showing of strength and masculinity in a way I've never been able to explore before uh, but done very in a very very feminine environment right and so it's this weird like it's this weird thing where I had to become pretty <laughs> and explore looking pretty but out of that there was more masculinity that I've never been able to experience in any other way Right. Yeah. I mean, that is some super fascinating stuff. Like, yeah, that's a it's very, really cool. I really want to like open up that conversation, and then you. Man, you should definitely talk to Will. I'm gonna text you so that I don't <laughs> forget that. But Will is uh, he's a guy who his job he's a professional aerialist, mm -hmm. and so he is a really fascinating guy to talk to about this stuff because like he's my idol in this because he looks very pretty when he does stuff on stage and he like you know does all this stuff, but he's also bi. He also lived in Vegas for a really long time and had like a really like um, this personal like sexual exploration that he had out there and like finding himself and stuff. So he'll be perfect for you. Okay, and you know what's also fun about this show is that every time I meet someone and I have someone on the show, they're like, "I have someone yep. for you as well," and I'm just like, I mean, this is the greatest, uh, most successful referral business I have ever had. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, a lot of my friends, uh, there's a podcast I listen to, and actually that's the final um, question he has in it. And he says, for the show to go on for forever, who's the next person I should talk to? And he asks every guest that. And oh, every cool. guest gives him a person. And so he never has to, like, stress about finding someone because he <laughs> has this, like, backlog, you know, because he has 128 episodes. And each episode, he gets at least one to two people per episode. Oh. It, so then it's just, you know. Yeah. Which is really nice. Uh, yeah, I am constantly in amazement of that all of the, the cool people that I know are like, oh, no, 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 you've also got to talk to this person and this person and, you know, and off I go into all of these things. I mean, I honestly, it is like strange how confident I am that it just can continue on for forever, mm -hmm. right? I will never be done talking about creativity and sensuality and that makes me so happy. It'll work. All right, let's do it. All what right. What are we doing? Um, we're, well, we're kind of already in the middle of it. Uh, okay. What are you doing right now? Oh, is it odd? Is it recording? Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Okay, cool. <laughs> Here we are. Um, so why are you... So uh, first and foremost, welcome okay. to Adult Candy. Um, I'm here with James Lopez, who is magician, uh, aerialist... Um, storyteller. Storyteller. Uh, actor. Actor, performer, marketing dude. Yeah. 
I do all the things. <laughs> we just joked last night as at a gig, and we joked that I'm also tip certified. <laughs> which, as a performer, if you're not tip certified, it's the number one thing you should probably do. <laughs> right, because then you can actually bartend. Mm-hmm. Hooray! The Okay, and then you have just pulled out a deck of cards, and I see... You have also taken out the aces yes. in this thing. So am I going to... Is there a trick? There might be a trick later. <laughs> but it's just... Uh, you do know this is a podcast, yes. right? Okay. So it, that's why I, I probably won't do it. But no, it's... Um, so if we're talking about like the magic brain and stuff, right? It's sometimes with a magician, We were, my friends and I joke about this, is that sometimes when you're talking... You're also doing stuff in the back of your head. So, like, we're trained where we have to be doing multiple things at once, right? So, just like any other performer would be doing it, we have to do it tenfold because our scripts, all of our things dictate what we do. So, our hands have to do something different than what we're saying. We have to be thinking three steps ahead of where anybody's at. And so, sometimes even in normal conversation, if we're, like, talking to you, we're running through things as well, too. And so, sometimes when a magician pulls a deck of cards out like this or does a certain move... He's doing it to remember a technique or he's trying something that just came into his head so he doesn't lose it. It's the same thing like a musician when they like, oh, you know, okay. find like, like a perfect all, chord. They, they stop everything. Yeah, because like, they oh, got to do it to, before like, they forget it. I yeah. need to strum. Yeah, and so that's what we're doing as magicians too. So a lot of the times you'll see all of us usually with something in our hands, but that's because we think of something while we're talking to someone. And it's not because we're not attentive, but it's because our brains are wired to do things simultaneously. That may be in opposites of each other. <laughs> or have you always been like this? And then you found magic is the solution to that? Or uh, did you find magic and then you're like, the only, then you had to like rewire? No, it's a little column A, column B. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like I've always had like very ADD and can't like stay focused on attention on anything, but magic helped me make it productive. Okay. Which is a really good way of looking at it because, like, you know, I'm always bouncing all over the place. Like, it's always, like, moving around and stuff. But, like, magic helped me understand how to do multiple things at once. And Framework. Framework. Yeah, give me the framework and foundation to do it because, like, nobody can multitask. We can only task switch. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that, like, in magic, you, you it is task switching, but this is the first place where I've truly felt like I'm multitasking. Like, I'm doing multiple things at once. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to do them all simultaneously because they're all codependent on each other. It's not like I'm shuffling a deck of cards and I'm switching to talking to you. Right. And then I'm switching back to doing this move with a card trick. And then I'm switching back to thinking about what I need to do next. It all happens simultaneously. And so it was like a really interesting art technique to learn how to do all of that stuff. How did you, like, I mean, it, is it really just like, you know, picking up a book of like how to become a magician? And like, there's the little... Like, what was the first thing that you did as a magician? Because, I mean, it's not like you can just do YouTube. Like, how do you train yourself to be the multi-track person? Um, that's a really good question. It, it comes from a certain level of performance. I think is the best way. Let me see if I can figure this out because this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Of So with magic, right, most people learn it or experience it the first time of something simple. It's usually a simple magic trick that they see that just blows their whole entire understanding and structure of the world out of the water. And there's two paths you can take. The, the first path is, is that you want to learn how it's done. 
and you start to learn these puzzles and you logically go this way. The other one is is that you are mystified by it but are grounded in some form of reality that it's not real. Right? Both recognize that that magic isn't real. I, this is going to be a long story. We're going to get back to it. But you have two paths you can go, right? Uh-huh. And path number one is, is that you can enjoy it for the experience. You, you can just enjoy want to enjoy it. And you just want to enjoy it. The other one is, is that you want to enjoy it because you want to understand the puzzle. You want to control it. Exactly. So you want to have this like control of it. But when you take that, that path of wanting control of it, you get to a certain point where you don't want to control it. You want to create something out of it. So it's, it's, the magician is constantly striving to recreate that first feeling that they had in magic. Mm. And so then as you become more and more of a performer, you realize that it's all about the experience. It's everything that's brought into it. And part of that experience is being able to do everything seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And so you just start to learn those things. The other thing is, is that you start to learn that, uh, each thing that you do creates, the impetus for the next action to happen and so my words have to be timed at the right time for me to do a certain move or the move has to be timed at a right time to be able to move the trick forward in a progressive manner rather than getting it stalled or delayed somewhere hmm. and so by once you start learning all these techniques and start learning this you realize everything is connected and everything has to be connected and working simultaneously and you can't have one thing happening before or after another how has this affected everything else like my life yeah oh wow that's another good question (laughs) it's it causes a lot of of i would say introspection and overthinking everything Mm. so like we call it magician brain (laughs) and the way magician brain works is that we overthink everything we have to overthink every single detail we have to think about how it's perceived how people will assume it works is this misleading someone or is this intentionally uh showing them exactly what's going on and you know i have magician brain yeah you might oh my god but we but it's it's funny because if we talk you know again when we talk about like the sensuality and everything too and like massive insecurities that people have like magicians are the most insecure people you ever meet in your life except for comedians except for well comedians at least yeah Okay, maybe it's both of us. <laughs> but we're on along the lines of the same vein of where we have to, like, we overthink everything because of our insecurities of we don't want to be found out, right? We're trying to create oh. this, like, persona or we're trying to create this thing. Like, we, we want the magic to happen and the trick is happening. If something happens within the trick that takes away from that magic, it ruins everything. Right. It's an I all mean, or nothing. Oh, because you guys have the ultimate imposter syndrome because... It is, in fact, pure... It is illusion. Mm, it's pure sleight of hand. <laughs> Everything is fake. Uh, and and it makes it really challenging because we want everything to feel real. Right. Right. And wow. so some magicians will take it to the full extreme of saying they have magical powers and they can do all this crap, blah, 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 blah. Uh, magicians like myself and a lot of the people I work with and our peers is that we realize that magic is a trick. We realize that it's this. But how do we create it into art and how do we create a dialogue and encapsulate everything to, to making it into a moment, right? And the moment becomes the magic, not what we're doing. Mm. And so the experience, the experience. Yeah. And so in life, when we go back to that question, like that's how my whole entire life has been consumed now. It's like overthinking everything of like, how does this create an experience? How do I feel fulfilled in this? And how do I not feel empty Mm. in the performance of just regular day to day things? It also is when I'm working, like how can I multitask and not task switch and be productive at what I'm doing? 
So, but that proposes this very interesting opportunity in this idea of the, the, the possibility of not feeling empty in the everyday. Because mm -hmm. I think that that's really what we all experience is that just the, the slumming it out. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that you're actually developing ways to not feel that emptiness? Um, By this overthinking, this understanding of every single element? No, because I think one of the issues is that it's not creating fulfillment. I think it's overanalyzing everything to, to the point of feeling unfulfilled no matter what. <laughs> and, and be at peace with that? Yeah, and trying to figure out a piece with it. Like, an example of last night, I, I had a gig last night, and I did it, and it felt fine, but I overthought it after we were done because I didn't feel like I created those magical moments. I created points for people to be excited, but for me, internally, it didn't feel magically fulfilled, and it was it was overanalyzing. Was I being sloppy? How was I introducing the tricks? What was I doing? And, like, really overanalyzing it mm -hmm. and creating this, like, crazy spiral in my head instead of being able to enjoy the experience because I wanted the experience to be perfect perfect right but there is no understanding perfection. of what perfection is of what that can be right well and I think also the thing that I've always experienced is that um that kind of and I'm air quoting here perfection <laughs> um <clears throat> almost always is obtained not through um expectation realized but through surprise right like not having the expectation and finding that it's really extraordinary yeah like that's usually where i'm all like that was amazing yes yes as opposed to like well i knew this was going to be amazing and it was I was here correct. we are <laughs> everything happened yay yeah. you know so i think that that's really for me that's what i am continually sort of trying to like allow space for is mm -hmm. like the nature of surprise because that's the only time that I get bored is when I'm like well I knew it would be this way and it was yay you know just yeah. like the the con like that I am am familiar with the construct to the point that the construct is just inevitability yeah yeah and it's it's interesting as a magician and this is where it gets really complicated in this art form, is that we have to be in control of that surprise. So surprise, we, so surprise right. happens, but we are dictating it. How do you, and I've always thought that this is really interesting because this is basically the reason why I'm not a performer, is mm -hmm. because I cannot even imagine the idea of doing, like, you know, a series of performances, you know, like, 10 shows, you know, three shows a week, a day, you yeah. know, like, boom, boom, boom. And every single one of them is like, yay, magical, mystical, woo. Yeah. Like, I have no idea how to keep the joy in the... Right, because once you're like fulfilled, right, right, like once you're fulfilled, you get that excited feeling, <laughs> then it becomes monotonous. Right, right, exactly. And and again, like I said before, it was like... All magicians, are, our goal is to replicate that one feeling we have when we first felt it. You know, that's right. what we're trying to do. And I actually got to experience this for the first time because my style of magic is I do close-up. So I do close-up, strolling magic, parlor magic, all that stuff. So every gig that I do is kind of a different gig. 
because every... It's more intimate. Yeah, it's more intimate and it's conversational and it's reactionary based on the audiences that I'm with. So every time I get to do a trick, it's always something new and it's always something exciting because it's based on the people I work with. But I recently just was in LA doing the Magic Castle for the first time. Bravo. And thank you. Thank you. It was really exciting to be out there. But it was three shows a night and then it was six shows Saturday, Sunday to do three brunch shows and then three evening shows. And it's the same set you do every single time. So you do it multiple times throughout the night. That sounds awesome. And it was really stressful the first night or two. It felt like it was starting to come together the second night or two. And then by the weekend, you're kind of on autopilot. But I was really fortunate to work with uh, a lot of people I respect in the community and they, the one guy I was working with, his name is Rob Zabrecki, he's been doing essentially the same set for almost 10, 15 years now. Yowzers. So like his whole entire show that he does, he does it. And what I realized was, is that his approach to magic and where he creates that energy for himself and for the audience is in his subtleties, it's in the nuances. It's yeah. in, he's perfected the routine to the point of where it engages an audience but now to create it even better it's these little subtleties that he brings into it to create the performance and those little subtleties are what makes him excited and what makes the audience excited too and especially being there to see him perform it uh, i don't know we did what 18 shows or something like that and see it every single night and him do the exact same thing every single night but to see like the passion that he brought into it like that's where the excitement and everything came from and it was really fascinating to watch that entertainment of him being completely in control of this situation and having to replicate that dynamic energy. Yeah, that ta-da that happens in every single time he does a performance of a trick. Man, that sounds so intimidating. But, I mean, you know, like, that's kind of the consummate professional, you know. It's just like, they're just, they just turn on. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, and we're here. And then they get off stage and they're like, and you can just see them. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's always been interesting, and again, it was interesting because magic is so, it's such a large definition of an art form. There's so many, like, off genres and, like, all these smaller, like, organizations of it is that I, as as a strolling magician and kind of this, is that I'm, I'm always in the assumptive role of the magician, is that... I, because I, I am wandering around people because I'm around people who've seen me perform a lot, I have to be in the role of magician 24-7. Like, it's something I can't turn off. But, like, these guys I was working with, they are stage magicians. They do a lot of stage performance and large-scale illusions and stuff like that. And right. they so have like the they ability. they have their top hat and their tie. Yeah. And as soon as they take that off, they get to be another they person. They get to be another person. And so it was really, really fascinating watching that and, and understanding the separation of the artist, the art form, and, like, the subtleties that happen with it. Why do you think that you've chosen this for yourself? Like, the 24-hour magician? I... I'll give you, I'll give you the two answers. So there's two answers, honestly, to it. The, the also, first, he's a Gemini. Yeah, I'm a Gemini, so there we go. Uh, no, there's two answers to it. The, the first is, is the romanticized one, right? Mm-hmm. So... For me, magic isn't the card trick, and this is something that's been like evolving for me for a long time. Like magic is the moment, right? It's the experience that we have. It's it's a very traditional Spanish version of magic. We call it uh, magico real realismo. I think that's the term. I always get that last word wrong, but basically, it's uh, magic and reality. 
So the idea that magic is happening all around us all the time and the experiences that we create and the things that we do, you know, create this like beautiful magic. It's not, it's not the trick. It's not the effect itself. It's, it's the moment that we want to experience, right? Everything that we have. And I, I grew up around a lot of magicians who really liked tricks and liked the puzzle of magic. Mm. And so they perform it, but they wouldn't create that experience. Yeah. That ambiance of like the energy that it was. And for me to do that, you have to take away from, you can't have the role of the magician, right? I am a magician. That's what I do, mm-hmm. right? People, people identify me as a magician, mm-hmm. but I don't want, I don't want that to be the magical moment. Right. I don't want that as a, as, a, as a magician, right? Okay. Is that I want to be able to break that fourth wall and have the magic be separate from me and in a moment. And so to do that, you have to be in that role 24-7. You have to be able to create those moments and experiences when the opportunity arises, mm. right? If I was to not do magic, right, in a moment that wasn't on stage, that wasn't creating that fourth wall barrier between me and my audience, then immediately magic becomes something different. It becomes a performance, and I don't want it to be a performance. I want it to be an experience, which is a very, very different understanding. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and it, it's a very subtle difference, but it's a major difference when it comes to that ultimate like kind of feeling of what you experience afterwards. But what is it in you Now we get to the specifics. Uh-huh. Now we get to the specific. The specifics of it is, is the reason why I like being the Magician 24-7 is because it's, it's a level of control. <laughs> it's an it's a, it's this extreme level of control where I'm in control of everything at all times. <laughs> you know, like the romanticized version is yes, I want to be able to create these beautiful experiences for people. Yes, I want to create magic as a moment and and separated from me as an as a human being. But ultimately, it's because I'm in control. Right. Every single thing I'm in control of, even when it looks like it's falling apart, I'm still in control of that experience. Right, because you're all you have taken on this role that requires you to always be on. Mm-hmm. So, no. <laughs> so I mean, the the ultimate question is, is that where is the? I mean, because there's got to be the person who doesn't want to be on 24 hours a day so there's like the little tiny person where do they go what do they do how do you like do you take yourself on vacation are you talking about my gemini role like when i'm done the the, the little like you know there's the other person that isn't the magician right that's all the other things of you like how do you nourish that little person to be okay with not being in the driver's seat ever uh that's something that i struggle with a lot so I'll get to a certain point where I just just completely shut down. down. Yeah. yeah, it just like I break down, I shut down, just everything turns off, and like I don't want to be in front of anyone. And it's this really bad extreme that I'm trying to like understand and learn. But uh, yeah, I mean it shuts down. It's just having to be in control and on twenty four seven when I'm in front of people. Like for me to enjoy myself, like. I hate it when people ask me what is the cool thing to do on the weekends or what should I go to, what should I experience. You seem like a cool person in town. You're doing stuff. No, I'm performing at everything. I have no idea what's going on because if I'm not performing somewhere, I'm usually at home, shutting down completely away from people. If I don't have to be somewhere, that's that's the time where I take the masks off and and I relax and I zone out. You know, but that's how do you zone out? I. 
Well, that's the problem is that when zoning out, it becomes into a role of, of consumption to become a better performer. So like zoning out is watching movies or, you know, that's what it used to be. Zoning out used to be reading magic books recreationally. Right, but that's not, that's like you still studying for the role. Yeah, it's still studying for the role. So and what do you do to just be James Lopez dude? That's the hard part. <laughs> uh, the only time that it like... I've, I've honestly felt that in the last like five years is so I bought an old 72 motorcycle oh boy and I rebuilt that from scratch and it's a very <laughs> dude thing to do like I'll wake up in the morning I'll make coffee and I'll go to my bike and I'll work on it and then when I'm done with the coffee I'll pour whiskey in the cup <laughs> and then you know work on that but that like the only time because there's an intentionality behind that there's it still is in that puzzle dynamic that I like you know, that's a big part of why I like magic is because of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But working on the motorcycle is so separated from the subtlety and, and, you know, just like we were talking about the femininity of everything that I do, that it's just a very aggressively masculine thing to do that allows me to shut off all of the subtlety and nuances that I have, you know. I did that when I, I was studying tango. So when I was, um, I was in school for architecture, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to go home directly after architecture class and just like immediately get into like all the stuff mm-hmm. right and just like because my brain will grind to the point of like absolute pass out so uh i always took a tango class um after so i'd go from like architecture and then i'd go into tango mm-hmm. and then i realized that i also had to balance the tango from like so then i took i alternated between tango and tennis yeah. So that I could have like the creative feminine and then like the the like the also the aggression. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you also need to be like, Whap! Yeah. You know, yeah. just like ah and that's how like I found that it was the triangle that kept me sane. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, okay, there has to be these different parts of me that like will keep myself sane to balance. So it sounds like maybe it's the the physicality of Ariel that is a balance there. Uh, How did you get into that? Let's get into that one. Okay, so let's go to Ariel. So I do do Ariel. Uh, I go into circus. So I originally started doing Ariel because I met a girl and I was really interested in her <laughs> and I started taking her class. That was ultimately where it started at. But it's always something I wanted to do. Like circus stuff has always been interesting to me. I don't like lifting weights. I'm not a weightlifting type of guy. I always ran for a long time and ran marathons and stuff, but I never did like something super physical. And so I found a very accessible way to get into circus performance and circus arts and started doing it and fell in love with it. It just, the way it doesn't feel like a workout, it feels like you're accomplishing something every time you do something when you finally get to put stuff together and are inverted in the air and flying, it's just like this beautiful feeling that you get to do. There's tons of apparatuses to play on that aren't just silks. There's all these other things I've gotten to play on and learn on. And it's a, it's a, it's an art form that is accessible, but very few people excel in. And for me, like that's always anything that I've done. I love that idea <laughs> of like anybody can do it, but there's a certain barrier you have to get past to, be good at it and I used to when I was a kid I never did stuff like that if I if I did something and I wasn't naturally talented at it I quit it right there (laughs) you know like once it started getting hard I would stop and this is like one of the first times where I found something where I'm like wow this is really fun and something I'm not good at but I want to get better at and continue improving with and the community that is 
around it is super supportive and really engaging and dynamic and it's very unique for a man to be in this art form Mm -hmm. here in Colorado so it's been really really nice to be um, really supported in that and really pushed in that so everybody I work with pushes me really really hard to be a better aerialist and let's let's kind of jump into um how that has shifted your awareness with your body and like how that has sort of spread into like this idea of of the sensual right because yeah. the aerialist is like it's such a it's such an extraordinary expression of body and connection of mind and body yeah so and this actually is is dance and everything too so as this is the bigger conversation this is so hard to like explain to people without sounding like douchey or anything but like as a performer there are a lot of us are performers and and we perform and do all this stuff and everything but the really really good performers are the ones who are fully connected to all of their senses and the way they interact and move around with people and stuff and i've been really lucky in the last year of not only doing aerial but also doing dance um working in immersive theater Mm. and working on that and all of these things combined are really focused on that idea of sensuality for connection Mm -hmm. right and how we are so well attuned to our own bodies of how that interacts and creates that like feeling and, and that sensuality with other people and so like especially doing aerial silks everything that you do has to be an intentional movement you know everything has to look very beautiful and elegant and almost like you're swimming in the air Mm -hmm. and so i've had to really learn every little nuance of my body how every little thing moves and what it does and then doing dance and especially ballet performing too in the immersive community it's the same thing of really understanding how your body moves what movements you take to create a story to create a dialogue and how you have that like connection because everything that you do creates that connection with your audience and then that creates the flow and movement and it's just this weird like sensual experience that is not overtly sexual yeah but it's this super intimate experience that you get to have by myself and then having giving that to the people that are watching it and consuming it um how would you express the value of exploring this and how has it like benefited you um both personally as far as like connection to self and sense of purpose and creativity and then also in your relationships like in your communications with your friends your lovers your you know all the things Mm. uh i would say if it's talking to like with other people and stuff like it's made it It's this really interesting thing of where I feel like I've gotten more intimate with people and it's easier for me to have that connection with them on a very physical level, both uh, men and women. Like it's, I wouldn't say like, I am very homosexual. Like I wouldn't say like, you know, I'm very attracted to men, but I've gotten the ability to do very sensual things with men on the silks like helping me train doing duo stuff and everything and like it's really like them is yeah weird. it's not weird it's really opened up this like opportunity to explore that and like have open conversations with other men who are very masculine too but also have to be very feminine at the same time and it's really in my community it's i think created a lot more emotional intimacy and, and trust building in like the community and 
conversationally even too that like has really really fulfilled me in that way uh for myself like again it's that exploration of like my personal body and being comfortable in who i am and comfortable in what i'm doing and having this like better understanding of how how the body moves and and how i move throughout the world and like all this intentionality that happens with with the physicality that you do well and the connection between being an emotional being and being a physical being mm-hmm. they are really simultaneous yeah it's you know that's uh, i've never gotten to this level but one of my good friends will he had this uh piece that he created that was all about uh, vulnerability and like he was going through this really bad bout of depression and had his life had fallen apart and he did this whole entire silk routine that was very masculine it was all about these very physically challenging things to do and he, he showed me bits and pieces of it and i have a hard time doing it but it's like him taking his whole entire body weight and just holding it by one hand you know on the silks and like flipping around and putting you know like an extra 500 pounds of torque on it you know and flipping him around or like holding himself in these like really impossible ways but it was all done to show this like really emotional vulnerability that he's been having and like how he's been dealing with his depression and it really made me feel that way of that anytime i'm on the silks it's that expression of those like feelings or any apparatus i'm on you're you know yeah i'm doing all these really masculine things but it's like this beautiful just sensual movement through the whole entire thing of how you emote and how emotions come out of you do you feel like you're even able to sort of distinguish emotions more like the the like you have a better sense of the nuance of feelings I have a better nuance of how to express those feelings through my body like I've always been a very I'm I'm a very emotional person I'm, I'm very empathic so I feel and experience emotions on a very intense level but it always came out in my face. It always came out in my passive aggressiveness. It always came out in these other ways. Uh, doing like silks and, and all the circus performing, it's really helped me use my body to express those emotions. And like, especially in the dance too. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my friends, she is very, very shy and can't talk at all. But, but she, get her on a floor. Get her on a floor and she will tell you exactly how she's feeling with her, with her movement. And she's really helped me learn how to use my body to express that too. I think the amazing thing is and i correct me if i'm wrong but when you're expressing your emotion through actual physical movement you're actually releasing it right like it doesn't you know when you're not when you're it's not like locked in at least that sort of has always been my feeling of it is that you know when i'm on a dance floor and i'm i've had i have all of this emotion and i'm dancing it out it's like when i'm done it's gone like, I have, it is, yeah, it is yeah. exercise. Yeah, when it's, like, tension and stress and everything, like, it's nice because it, it does get it away. <laughs> it allows it to go. It's, in performance, it's a little weirder, though, because we're holding, I think it's a productive way to hold on to it, right? Mm. So so something I, I've known for myself as a performer, and I think for a lot of other performers, is that we, it's hard for us to let things go. Mm. Everything gets internalized, and, and we hold it in there, and that's, you know, where we create this, like, passion for what we're doing on stage and being as a performer I think it's a way that we can control that like holding on to things and so like when I go and do a certain routine or something it brings all those feelings back up right if I do a certain performance it brings all of that back up but it does it in such a controlled way that it doesn't consume me and take over my life but it's it gives me the ability to use it in a really 
great way to connect with my audience to create that like empathic dialogue with them mm. you know which you know like going to a dance party and just like dancing it out you feel great right dance yourself clean that's what we all do but in a performance when i have to emote with someone on a very very deep level of, of physicality to to get them to follow me into an experience to get them to see something that i want them to see that's not there you know it brings up feeling mm. but allows me to not let it control me and get that like connection with the other person hmm. how does that apply to in relationships oh terribly terribly <laughs> terribly it causes a lot of like problems because I, I get super enmeshed into relationships it creates it creates a lot of uh, intensity and passion that's great in small spurts but you know long term it makes it hard to like create those and like maintain those like very intense and passionate conversations and dialogue um, what's is there a workaround or is that just like to be continued I think it's a to be continued but it's it's I, I, a lot of it is I think like getting to that maturity point of where you can start separating yourself from the performance mm. which is really nice but I think the other part of it too is finding someone who can match that ebb and flow right because it is all ultimately like even in circus and especially because I'm starting to work on a lot of duo stuff so actually like in the air performing and pulling someone up you know, while I'm upside down, holding them and building that implicit trust to be able to move them and do things with it is it's an ebb and flow of trust. It's an ebb and flow of conversation and dialogue. It's an ebb and flow of like intensity and passion and, and forgiveness and, and understanding and things like that. Mm. But it takes someone who's able to be out those highs and lows, you know, and, and go with them with you. Because I think having someone who's stable and you're doing the highs and lows that it could work, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for both people. Right. Because that's like stagnating. Whereas if you have two people who can ebb and flow with each other in those extremes, it creates a better, for me at least, it's created an easier way to like, yeah, sometimes it sucks. And yeah, it's hard for me to have a, a relationship. But in the relationship, if I we are productively moving forward, it feels a lot better because it doesn't feel like we have to limit who we are or what we're doing we can just understand each other at those levels mm. um in terms of and i you kind of mentioned this um about uh magic of uh, real realism real, yeah yeah the magical realism and you mentioned kind of uh uh tell me about how um the cultural experience of um, magic and uh, you know the because uh, Spanish culture is definitely you know magical realism is kind of a thing that they do yeah so um, ha have you embraced elements of that cultural experience and how has that evolved for you yeah so so there's really like in magic there's not like schools of magic right it's not like there's a hogwarts and there's another one that like teaches different things but there's there's subtle understandings of magic right and here in america we they hate making generalizations like this but in america we've really created this like romanticizing the performer like idolizing the performer themselves or idolizing the actual tricks and creating a very very consumptive model of magic so it's always what the newest trick is or it's you know romanticizing david copperfield you know and creating these like individuals and putting them 
up at, you know, on these pedestals and doing that. In Spain, their understanding and sensibility of magic is creating, like, you know, really, again, those beautiful moments and really focusing on storytelling and emotion and how we create that and emote it. And that's just a generally understood thing in the culture. And for me and my performance, that's something that I've really wanted to focus on and, and bring in, not only because I am Hispanic and it's something that like I lost out growing up in America and not really feeling close connected to my community, like this is an opportunity for me to do that, but also because I feel like that's more powerful in what we're trying to create in any type of performance that we do, right? So like I do immersive theater, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I hang out with a lot of circus performers and try to do my best to do circus. I, I perform magic on various levels and stages and do all this. And every single art form and artist that I work with, we're all trying to create magic. It's just we have different mediums that we do that in. And in Spain, they see magic as an art medium. It's an art form. Mm. And out of that, it's then, okay, what are we trying to create emotionally? What are we trying to elicit? What's the response that we want from it? And what's the story we're trying to tell? And that's what I want my magic to feel like. You know, and sure, sure, yeah, I have easy tricks that I can do, but like everything is, is how does this create emotion? What, what is the awe? What is the sense of wonder? How do we create a story and dialogue with it? How do you, like, how are your parents, your family supportive of you being, you know, magician? This? <laughs> they, they hate it because I never have time to see them. Oh, As in, okay. I'm always busy, but they're very, very supportive of it, and they understand it. They and, appreciate your, your taking a creative path? Yeah, and for a long time, they, they were very resistant to it. They wanted me to feel safe. They wanted me to, you know, to take a standard job. I'm from a small town, so of course it's the, you know, go to college, you get married, have kids, you know, stay in your steady career for 35 mm -hmm. years. And when I graduated from college, you know, I did that for a decade and got really depressed doing it but at least I was safe and my family thought I was doing everything I needed to do. And so when I gave up on all of that and really went on my own to struggle and struggled in this creativity, they were really, really scared for me. But then, you know, the economy flipped and my whole entire family of all who've gotten married, who have stable jobs, <laughs> all that stuff. They also got their ass They back. lived in a world of instability. And in their moment of instability, I was thriving. I got invited to go out to New York and perform out there. I was performing in LA. I was, you know, every weekend I was booked somewhere. And if something didn't work out, I had the ability to pivot and move into something almost immediately. And so, like, I started to build it. And when I went out to New York for the first time and performed out there and was on Off-Broadway, did all this stuff my family finally understood. They mm -hmm. understood this career path. They understood this creativity and passion that it was helping me survive and thrive when this traditional standard you know, system that they've always followed fell apart. And so my family now, you know, before I would always say that they weren't that supportive of it, but now they're very, very supportive and encouraging me being in this artistic community. It's interesting to think because I, I kind of think that that's the new model right like <clears throat> the old guard is definitely gonna have to fall like there is no stability yeah. that's all going away we're all going to you know it's all gonna be you know dumpster fires for you know like there's no pensions there's no nothing right it all just sort of falls to the wayside and everything gets you know uh, automated or you know just 
uh, you know, all of the joy take, gets taken out of it, and, like, nothing's left except the creatives, and, like, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that will be there, yeah. They can, you know, uh, lock in, and that's going to be the place where we all thrive, right? It's like, ah, bring back the creatives. Yeah. So, I mean, in that way, I'm like, bring on the apocalypse, right? Because the creatives are the ones that are going to, you know. Yeah, like, we're always going to thrive. We're always going to have something, <laughs> and yeah, and that's what, it's nice to be able to be in a place now where I can feel comfortable saying that. And, and and do that, and whereas, you know, like, I was really scared for a long time. I struggled still. You know, I barely make any money doing this. But I have... But you're happy. I'm happy, and I've developed so many skills now that I'm not bound to one path. You trust yourself. Yeah, I trust myself. And, and out of that, I've, you know, I get to consult on a bunch of things. I get to create my own things. I get asked and invited to be part of a bunch of people's different performances the magician's mansion yeah yeah i gotta to go to the magic castle and perform there you know and it's it's so cool to be able to be in that place in my life now where i don't feel like i i have to say no to things because i'm too worried that it's going to affect my career or i have to say yes to things because like it's supposed to boost me in a way even though i don't feel right about it i get to create and ultimately that creation is what makes me satisfied do you think that all of this work has made, like, all of this saying yes to your creativity and saying yes to your intuition, like, that that's just continued to hone in, like, this sense of magic of, like, uh, I can do exactly what I, like, that you're actually becoming an actual magician? Like a real wizard? I'm becoming <laughs> a real wizard. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. I think, honestly, for me like saying yes to everything and, and really pursuing this like creativity and stuff, what it's doing is allowing me to feel like I can be a leader in my community mm. and do it in, in a healthy and good way. And I can create conversation, I can create dialogue, and I can, I can dream, right? I can play again and do all these really cool things that you don't get to do. And, and yes, that makes me, empowers me to be a better magician, but what it, it really empowers me is to be a better performer be a better artist mm. right and 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 grow pragmatically as an artist not like in this like dreaming way of like constantly struggling but really feeling like how can I be productive in this career path that I've chosen and, and how can I help other people yeah and be successful at it and how can I help create a community that feels and does the exact same thing mm. right. do you think that um I mean, there, there's been this huge renaissance of, like, magic, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, Harry Potter. Oh, the magicians. Right, oh, America's you know, Got Talent. Yeah, you know, like, okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. All, like, this huge renaissance of it. Like, how do you feel that that has influenced the culture in just, like, actually this acceptance of, like, you know, that magic does have some level of realism to it or that, it's... you know, people have space in their head that like maybe magic is real yeah like and it's something that like can be socially accepted you right. know it's and like a cultural I can, norm i can say that i'm a witch and somehow i'm not getting burnt to the stake yeah right now. this is really amazing i it's it's been a really really fascinating thing because i think the entertainment of magic is coming back and it's in it, on one side it's really really nice on the other side the people who are getting idolized and glorified are not pushing the boundaries no, they're not pushing magic as an art form. Mm. They're playing it really comfortable, and I think they're kind of um, distilling out like the complexity of magic, and it's not really pushing the envelope in the way that we want it to. 
which goes back and um, but it's awesome because like now people like want to hire me. They're they're interested in seeing magic, you know, and they want to see it. But it's hard. I think really the next step is, and and kind of what I'm hoping for is that we do see a push more into the idea of like witches coming back again or like sages or things like that being like I wouldn't I don't want to say like romanticized and I don't want to say like idolized or adored but to be like socially accepted that people can do that yeah and embraced you know because for us as magicians and especially for me as a magician I despise I hate saying that not psychics and mediums are okay I despise psychics and mediums who take advantage of people, which is what happens a lot in that community is people who use the deception and the tools that I have to create entertainment. They do it to create, to take possession of someone and take advantage of someone. And I don't like that at all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's hard in the witch and wizard or whatever community you want to call it in is because you don't know if that's happening or not. And these Mm -hmm. people who are saying that they're witches, you know, are they doing it? for personal fulfillment or are they doing it for socially you know pushing boundaries kind of things like that or just for straight profit yeah for straight profit and it's like that stuff is not cool but if we create it where a community of that can be accepted and okay then yeah i'm totally down for that and i love it i love that idea yeah you know creating communication and dialogue and conversation those types of things well i mean i think we're definitely there in terms of like it being a there is this place for it you know and and i'm excited that you know yeah maybe it was like harry potter and all of these like books that kind of gave people this like ooh yay i'm curious about it and then they ended up going to their local witch shop or you know magic shop and be like well i'm i'm curious i want to be that person and then we're just going to have keep having like this generational waves of people who are giving it more room and space yeah, yeah, and that's and that's blurring the line between entertainment and actual, like, practice. Yeah, because I think like there's a lot of the ultimate goal of magic is to create connection, right? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of ritual that goes into that. Like all of my practicing, all of my performance, all of these things. There's there's a lot of ritual that goes into what we do. And the idea of, like, witches being able to do that ritual, too, in the ultimate effect to create community and create dialogue and connection with other people, like, that's awesome. And, like, we're in a community now where that can actually happen, and, and that's a socially acceptable thing, which is really, really cool. Um, and, and I like that I get to be a magician. I like that I get to, to dabble in all of these things, you know, uh, because it, it creates that dialogue and creates that community, but also it's a really awesome time to be in this, too, because as I talked about before, like audiences aren't dumb. People aren't dumb. Our, our whole entire culture, or, or the, the the people that live with us right now, no one's dumb. We're fully aware that all of this is tricks, mm. right? It's creating a dialogue that allows us to use those tricks in a productive way, in a conversational way, and creating a community way, and creating the dialogue, and creating that feeling that we wanted before, mm. right? That's what I'm excited to be a part of and to be able to create. And I think we're in a place where even like the witch community and stuff like they're recognizing the fact that like, yeah, nobody can pull a wand out and do some, you know, like, <laughs> like stuff you see at like Harry Potter world and stuff like the witches that I talk to and like a lot of the shops I go to, they're fully aware of that. Yeah. 
But what they bring to the table and what they have the conversations about is like, cool, yeah, maybe we aren't able to do that, but this stuff that we do provide, the crystals, the whatever, whatever we do, allows people to be happy and allows people to feel confident in who they are and what they're doing and explore their lives, explore their craft, explore sensuality, explore all these other things. And that's what's really cool about it is it creates that opportunity to explore. Mm. In mm. a safe space. Like, yeah, in a safe space. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, so who are some of your like, m- like magicians that you think are amazing that are doing amazing work? Who Ooh. influences you? So there's a couple. Uh, Wait, who is it? It's just the Queen of Spades. Oh. Is that your card? There we go. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just the queen. Of just spades. the queen of spades. No, uh, there is. So one of the biggest guys, and I got. I was very fortunate to perform with him this week, uh, this last week in LA. His name is Rob Zabrecki, <laughs> and he used to be uh, the lead singer of this band called Possum Dixie. Okay. No, Dixie Possum. Oh, crap! He's gonna get so mad there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he was the lead singer of this like uh, indie punk band in LA. And he gave it all up to perform magic. And now he performs all over L.A. and does this very theatrical performing that, like, no one will ever be able to replicate his character and the performance of style he does. And his approach to theater, like, magic as theater, mm-hmm. is amazing. Very much look up to him. Uh, there is a gentleman named Garrett Thomas here in the States who he used to live in, like, an art commune. And so his whole entire approach to magic is doing sleight of hand strolling magic like I do but really taking that like sensibility of, of art to it. Mm. You know, he lived in our commune, so every trick that he creates is, is art, right? And the way he approaches it is very artistic and creative. There is uh, Spanish magicians that I really follow. Um, Danny de Ortiz, uh, Woody Aragon, uh, Gael. What about female magicians? Where in the world so, are the female magicians? We'll get magicians? to that. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, before I forget, though, uh, Juan Tamariz, who wrote um, The Way of Magic, he basically has completely like changed my whole entire perspective on magic and how you understand it. And that's like that's the Bible. Yeah, yeah. The way he of magic. he has created the new way of magic, and I think it's hard for people to accept it, but the stuff that he's written makes sense. Female magicians. <laughs> So this is an interesting, interesting thing to get into. So for the longest time, women were very shunned away from this very fraternal, male-dominated magic community. I've noticed. And it's only within the last five to ten years that magic has become so socially accepted and embraced that it's now opening up that community and i think it's now because a lot of the old guard is finally starting to retire starting to pass away (laughs) yeah who were like really dictating that that there's a lot of like empowerment of female magicians coming out it's just we're still in that very and people have been saying this for like 20 30 years but we're still in that very early phase of like allowing like female magicians to really thrive and strive in it you know and there's a couple of them but that I appreciate and I really like watching like Suzanne for instance she's one of the best like sleight of hand magicians that you'll see but they also all come uh, a lot of the female magicians who are really high up in the community now also come from an older style of magic that just isn't something that I like mm, you know 
So we don't have any new cutting edge. Yeah, so like there's no like new cutting edge in a lot of the the females that I've watched perform in it. And the, and this is kind of the shitty thing about the community is that I think a lot of female magicians, except for uh, a woman named Kayla who performs with the Masters of Illusion, I think is a show that's going on right now. They're doing a lot of stock material. They're doing a lot of like old school stuff. I think I saw Masters of Illusion. Is it like four people? Illusionist or Illusionist. Yeah, it might have been in that. I forget which one she's on. She's on one of those tours. Uh, Katarina is another great, really progressive magician that is pushing the envelope in everything she does, but she rarely travels outside of Canada anymore and does a lot of private stuff, doesn't do a lot of public performing. <laughs> so, you know, there there are people doing it. There's just not a lot of them, and there's not a lot of encouragement of that yet. Well, that uh, I want to encourage, like... Where... I'll tell you where women are really, really blowing it out of the water is in cardistry. So that's this new art. Yeah, it's this new art form that's come out called card juggling. Oh. And it was it was really first started by this uh, these twins called Dan and Dave Buck, based out of California. Uh And they started just like playing with cards and doing like these weird card passes and spreads that kind of turned into this juggling, and other people started playing with it, and now it's this completely new art form separate from magic. That because it was started with millennials, you know, <laughs> it, it's so weird to say that, oh, but it started with millennials, millennials. That it's completely open to everyone. There's no judgment. There's no dictation. It's super encouraging, and and a lot of women are really starting to thrive in that community and like blow it up. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> of the millennials, or, yeah. Of millennials, <laughs> you know, and age it's. Of and so that's it's super like empowering to see that right it's an art form that i don't do i i can't do i don't like it personally just because i don't have the dexterity for it or the patience to practice it but seeing it as a very women-driven community has been awesome or if it's not women-driven uh at least there's more acceptance of it Mm. in that community than any other community i've seen in the art and magic is an art form are there was when you went to the I keep wanting to say the Magician's Mansion, but it's Magic, the Magic Castle. Castle. Yeah. <laughs> when you went to the Magic Castle, were there a lot of women there? Because, I mean, what, what are the rules around the Magic Castle? So the Magic Castle is an interesting thing unto itself, right? <laughs> so it's, it's meant to be... So there's two different organizations in the castle. So there's the Magic Castle itself, and then there is the um, Magician Society. I forget what it's called. You are just... I'm brain dead today, apparently. <laughs> but there's two different organizations in there, right? Okay. And so the castle itself is the club, essentially, is where people go. So it's like the clubhouse. Okay. And then this organization is the organization of magicians. And so when you go into the castle at any given day, uh, after they open to like at five on, mm-hmm. it's just the clubhouse. So anybody who is a member can come into it. So it's not dictated solely to magicians. Anybody can be a member and you can invite people to come if you are a member. For the Magic Clubhouse. For the Magic Clubhouse. But, but the, the Magician's the thing magician, is its own. You have it's to its be own invited. little world. You have, to be, you have to audition. So you have to audition and become a member. So you audition and then a peer committee reviews it and says if you're in or not. And are you in? Are you I in? have not auditioned yet. I will audition. I have always been apprehensive to it, but now that I've gotten to perform at the castle and see it, I'm like, cool, now I'm going to become one. <laughs> but there's uh but that being said like there was there not dues? you have to pay yep, like oh. really i don't think they're kind of bad but uh there wasn't a lot of pinned? 
yeah, you get a little pin and you get full access to the castle whenever you want to go and you get like access to all this other stuff and <laughs> it's a very small community of like magicians who do it, which is really cool. You have to see his face like light up with the, the excitement of a three-year-old at Christmas or well, in front of an ice cream. Yeah, and, and well, this is exciting because this is exactly why I joined, one of the big reasons why I joined Magic is that Magic was always meant to be a secret, right? And for those who are willing to put the effort in to find it, they're able to open a door, get access to something that's like super, you know, exclusive and and beautiful and, and amazing that you don't understand. And then when you get to the other side of it, you understand it, but then there's, it opens up doors to more mysteries, more of just the things that make us excited, right? <laughs> and the, the magic castle embodies that, you know, it's behind closed doors, you can't use your phone in it, it's full cocktail attire, the whole entire time that you're in there Ooh. yeah it's uh members only and you can only be invited by a member to be able to come into the experience everything that you experience there is in the moment mm. right and it's but it's behind a door you have to earn your way into it then and do they like and do magicians perform for because you guys love to perform for each other uh so you're not allowed to perform in there unless you're one of the actual designated performers which is an interesting thing of watching a lot of people not pull their cards out or do whatever they can. Oh, that's interesting. So, but it would also be quite the thrill to be asked by the magicians, because I assume that you'd be a, you only can be a member to perform at yeah. the. Thing. No, no, no. They, you can be a non-member and be performed, but you have to be asked by, like a member has to like recommend you to be able to perform there, and then their talent scout has to see you perform and make sure it fits within their view and. Like, there's a lot of politics behind it, but that's, again, makes it even more special and magical because, like, um, magic is, man, there's so much to talk about, but magic is one of the few art forms where you actually can be at the same level as your idols. Oh. So, in magic, you know, I'm just a guy in Denver. I'm not that famous. You know, I don't do a lot of stuff, but I can hang out with the guys who are traveling the world at an equal level. Like, we have a very equal footing. Magic is the most... It's the most accessible art form to get to your peers. Interesting. You know? Because, like, if I was a musician, right? Like, I couldn't call Taylor Swift up. <laughs> right? I couldn't call her up and be like, hey, I'm working on this song. I can do this. But in but because it's such a small world and because there's such a high barrier to entry? I, I, I wouldn't even say it's a high barrier to entry. I think it's it's just a very giving community. It's... Because it's so so nerdy and specific? I think it's because it's so nerdy and specific, but also because it is... Magic, as a medium, is the ultimate representation of that feeling, right? That thing that we've been talking about this whole time. Mm -hmm. And we all want that. Every magician across the board wants that feeling in some way. It might be ego-driven. It might be selflessly driven. You know, it doesn't matter because ultimately we're all trying to get to that end destination of creating magic. So in that, so in the community and all the professionals, they understand that if people below them are not doing good, it ruins their ability to give that performance. Mm -hmm. But also people who are at that higher level recognize magic as an art form. And so because of that, they're more willing to give of themselves and create the art form and elevate it altogether. Right. So... And because of the secrecy and exclusivity of it is that you do have to earn your way into it. But everybody who's ever done a magic trick, we all have taken that step to doing it, mm. right? Because there's no 
class that we can take. There's no thing that we can do right. that it's brings not us into like it. Yeah. A clear like. Yeah. I went to school for coding. Right. You know, you know or okay. like I. I took yeah. I, that's why I know how to do BA. I got a guitar when I was a kid, or you know, right. stuff like that. It. Um, it's harder to get into, but I think it's more open as a community, and so I can call up my idols. I can send them an email right now and be like, hey, I'm working on this move that doesn't work. Help me. Help me. And they're more than willing to do it and give it, which is awesome. What was your first trick? What was the thing that started it all? <laughs> I, I don't remember the first trick that was ever shown to me, but I remember the first trick I ever learned. And so it's actually what I close my close-up sets with now is this trick. <laughs> and it's a really simple trick, but you take four aces, you place them on a table, and you place... Like, like you were going to do. Yeah, like you place three cards on top, uh, or you place cards on top of them, and then you have someone point at a pile, and all the aces magically move to that pile. But you don't touch anything. Uh-huh. It's a very clear, clean, simple trick. 120, 130 years old. Huh. And it just blew me away when I first saw it. I got out of magic, and I saw it performed one night on YouTube at like 2 o'clock in the morning when I was surfing around, and it blew me away again at that point. And so it's my way of sharing that feeling with other people like this is the trick that makes me feel that feeling inside oh. and so now I close my sets sharing it to them and telling people that story because that was that's ultimately the trick that's anytime I feel like I, I'm wavering in magic you I perform that for an audience yeah and it, it resets me and be like oh yeah this is what I'm doing alright will you show me the trick sure I'll show you the trick <laughs> This is a book, uh, and, th and this is the interesting part about Magic 2, right? So this book you can get at the library. This book you can buy for $15 on Amazon right now. And this was the trick that ultimately, you know, like, gets me paid now. <laughs> it's just so fascinating to think about that. Like, this is so accessible to everybody, but nobody uses it. And now it is what pays my bills, essentially. But. All right. So four aces. Four aces. So I'll just go saw... through it. Yeah, I'll just go through it. Okay. Four aces and a handful of cards, right? All right. One, two, three, four. Okay. You and... did a little flourish at the last one on the spades, Perfect. just so you know. Just on the last one. <laughs> so what we're gonna try to do is we're actually just gonna take the aces up. I don't want that one. No. I want this to go there. Okay. Okay. So four aces are going to go down on the table. Okay. Then what's going to happen is I'm gonna show you all these other cards. Because again, I don't want this to feel like it's a trick, right? Okay. I want this to feel like everything is going totally fine. Totally we're fine. We're just moving it. Everything's clear. Okay. What we're trying to do is we're going to cover the aces. Right. Okay. We're putting these cards on top of them so that I cannot get access to them. Okay. okay. And you just showed me that there was a six, the last one. Right. I saw. So you can see this. Right. Look at fair. Your fancy little hands. Hands are fair. <laughs> Nothing's going on. I'm not reaching under to grab the aces. Nope, I'm not nope, doing nope. anything it's to like just grab organizing the piles right. nice and straight. Straight piles, empty hands, nothing in the sleeves. Nothing in the sleeves. No cups. We have four piles here. Uh-huh. You can see clearly that we have four piles with four cards in each and every single pile. That is correct. One, two, three, four. I'd like you to point at one of the piles. This one. This one? Perfect. We'll move this one away, point at two of the piles. Point at two? This one and this one. That one, perfect. We'll take this away. Either or, it doesn't matter. You can choose. This one. Perfect. We'll pull this one away. And again, we'll move this this way. So you can see I haven't touched anything. I haven't no, manipulated anything. No, no, I'm watching you. Anything. Very okay. closely, sir. Okay. Watch it very closely. Yeah, in fact, put your finger right there so I can't get to the cards themselves. Okay. 
Now, at this point, you could have randomly selected any of the piles. You moved around the piles. We had you pick different piles. So it could have been whatever pile that we wound up with, but we wound up with this one. That is correct. Okay. Watch. Do you know what this does? Um, nothing. It does absolutely <laughs> nothing. Okay. What it makes, though, is the idea of magic. Mm. Right? Because magic isn't about this reveal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when we show the cards, that's it. The trick is over. Mm -hmm. Magic is in the moment that we're experiencing right now. This opportunity that we have to connect as people in a way that you will never be able to connect with anyone ever again. In fact, if we ever did this again, it'd be a completely different experience. Right. This Stone a, in the river. Right. It's a one-time experience that we get to have. It's, it's essentially a Schrodinger's cat, right? <laughs> kind of experience is that we don't know what's happening. All the anticipation. Right? We just sit here in this in this intense moment, and this is what we want people to remember. This is the experience we want to have. This mimics that and allows us to give a visual representation to what's happened. Now, again, this is the first time I'm touching these piles outside of placing the cards on top of them, mm -hmm. and what you will see. Uh huh. Yeah. Those are cards. Is a moment. No aces. Wait a minute. You were supposed to. Oh. Or each and every single pile <laughs> doesn't have an ace that you saw go on the ground. No aces. Except for that one right there that you chose. Oh. <laughs> Stupid magic. I don't know how you did that. The very first trick that I ever learned. And now that is what I use to pay my bills. And it's just so fascinating to me in an art form that, like, tell me any other art form that you get to do that in. No, right? no, it's, a, it's, it's good. It's very good. I am definitely the person who, like, is super curious, but I don't want to know. I don't want to have magic ruined for me. I think it's the same reason why I didn't become a, like, um, a musician, because I like just want to like listen to it and dance and just absorb it and just like enjoy it completely, you know, as opposed to like my all of my friends who are because I'm friends with almost like it's so many musicians and they listen to music and you can just hear them like, you know, that's this particular you know pedal and this voice thing and this and that and the other and I'm like, oh, that's miserable. You it, don't enjoy it. You it, love it, music, but you also don't enjoy it because you're intellectualizing it. Yeah, and and honestly, I think that this has been one of my few benefits of being a Gemini. <laughs> one of my few is that I can turn that off. Like I love the puzzle of it. I love figuring logically figuring everything out in magic. But when I'm watching it, do you really just like I watch just, it? You're I just, just like, turn oh it off. And I just want to enjoy it. And you're like six years old. Yeah, and because. You're like, yeah, because I want to, like, I can analyze it, and I'll definitely do that sometimes, but most of the time it's like, no, this this art form is meant to be appreciated in the moment. Yeah. It's meant to have this experience. It's not meant to be overanalyzed. Yeah, to just suspend. Yeah, I overanalyze. That's my job on the back end, <laughs> so that you, when it finally gets to you as a product, you don't have to analyze anything. It's just the experience. Are you going to be doing this for the rest of your life? Could you ever get burnt out on being a magician? Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, I've gotten burned out for... Uh, time and and from a lot of the people I talk to professionally, that's what it is. You get burned out, you, but how, you always come back. Do you, how do you? I was going to say like how do you like keep that? Because I mean, essentially, you said like because you've chosen this type of magician, the twenty-four hour magician. It's like going twenty-four hours for. 30 days or 60 days or whatever and then you're just like boom shut down yeah right 
And do you think that there's a way to incorporate, like, where you're regularly nourishing yourself so that it doesn't have that, like, boom and bust? Yes. And it is moving away from... 24-hour magician? No, 24-hour magician is fine, but it's moving (laughs) away from magic as the medium. So once I've expanded myself beyond magic as the medium and used the techniques of magic in the other things that I'm performing or the other things that I'm doing, it's now... It's empowered me to be better, right? And it doesn't, yeah, as a whole, and it doesn't burn me out on magic. Like, I still love performing magic as a performance, but the techniques, the things that I've learned, how the conversational tools I've learned, the way to control an audience or lead people where I want them to go, uh, how to create something as an effect and translate that into world building or, you know, aesthetic building, things like that, it's it's really nice right and it it rejuvenates me and it makes me feel better as a magician as a performer but as a magician 24 7 i can apply this stuff to other things and it makes everything else that much better and you think is that the future james the magician is actually james the immersive theater artist or where does that go for you uh i think it'll always be james the magician but it will be james uh no, I think it'll be James the performer. I think it'll move away from, from being solely as a magician to just being a performer and just letting it live in that environment, not being specifically tied to anything. Because mm. I think, like, and, and this is another conversation for another day, but, like, we're moving into a post-theater world. Right. Right? We're moving into that postmodern, post-theater world where immersive performance and immersive entertainment is going to be the primary thing that we all do. And so, like, I don't want to say, like, I'm an immersive performer because eventually it's just, it's performance. just performance, right? So, like, I'd rather just be a performer who is fortunate to be on the cusp of that, it, it, the way that we're perceiving it and the way that we're defining it, and enjoy that rather than saying that I am an immersive performer. And you've been in these immersive theater performances because Denver is really having kind of a moment. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're like, the third or fourth biggest, like, immersive city the yeah, the nation. yeah in the world yeah it's crazy <laughs> uh and i think well and so why i like this stuff and and why i'm segueing into this from just doing traditional magic is because we as magicians and being the 24 7 magician my whole entire job is to create immersive right. experiences right that's been my whole entire career path is creating immersive experiences that bring people in that gets audience buy-in that gets audience participation and gets audiences to suspend their sense of reality, even if it's temporary. That actually brings up a very interesting question because as a magician, that's like a solo job, uh-huh. right? It's it's usually just the magician and that's, you know, that's maybe yeah. there's a pretty girl that's like, hi. Um, but immersive theater, I mean, that's this huge, massive collaboration and you've got all of these other immersive performers and you've got all of these other things. How is it to transition from being this very like, me-centered thing to being the we? Uh, it was really, really easy because I, I was very fortunate to, to work with a lot of artists that went into it. And for a lot of um, magicians, especially here in Denver, it's been very hard for them and very challenging. It's caused a lot of problems where people don't want to work with them anymore. Uh, but for me, it was understanding the collaborative nature of immersive theater and understanding that I had specific skill sets that I could 
offer. offer rather than feeling like I was the star and had to control everything. And and there is a little bit of ego in there kind of sometimes where I'm like, no, but I, I want to do everything. <laughs> it's it's realizing that I can help teach people how to do that audience engagement thing and, and really bringing those strengths into that collaboration. Because again, my ultimate goal is not to make it about me, it's to make it about the moments of magic, the experience of magic. Do you think that that's kind of a result of you being kind of like the 24-hour magician, close-up magician versus like the kinds of magicians that are like stage magicians and they really are in the spotlight and yeah. it's on them and yeah. that's kind of how that plays out? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it, and I was getting into interesting dialogues with a lot of my friends because we were, we were both talking about the role of the magician. But because they were stage performers, they were seeing it as a character that they play on stage versus where I was seeing it as a lifestyle. A lifestyle and part of like my personal identity mm-hmm. and how that plays into it. You know, of not allowing it to consume me because I don't want to be seen as a character. You know, it's you. Yeah, it's me and it might be an elevated version of me, but ultimately it's me and the magic is happening in front of you, not because of me or I'm doing it. Right. Right. But that's because when I first saw you perform, I had no idea that you were performing. It was like all of a sudden you just walked up to me and it was at the, was at the fucking unicorn party. Uh-huh. And it was just like we started chatting and then all of a sudden you just broke out this uh, trick. And I'm like, wait, what, 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 what's mm-hmm. happening here? Mm-hmm. And I was like the surprise and delight of like the random person is just doing this thing. Right. And yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I see how that works. And so, you know, and so when we intentionalize that and look at it as an art form, and especially when we talk about like the immersive theater experience of it, right? <laughs> like that's my strength. That's where my skill set comes in in performing is to take someone, a stranger, and have them have complete buy-in in almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when we talk about, and, and so again, like if we go back into like the circus talents that I'm learning or like the dance experience that we're doing for like professional development and some of the theater shows I've been doing like that's all part of creating that audience engagement and that audience buy-in that is a subtle nuance that a lot of magicians don't understand mm. or, and they're learning it but can't articulate it or there are different phases of where this is at but me as a strolling magician that was my job mm. is to learn these skill sets to learn this and now that I've really articulated that and thought about it now when I translate that to immersive theater you know that's what I can do to the table and help create those like audience engagements and buy-in what would be your dream project like what is what's 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 out there yeah what is like the the Everest for right now because obviously once you get to Everest then there's another Everest but it's there is a secret idea that I've been mulling around for a bit of creating a fully immersive experience in a very surreal, like a very surreal magic performance. Like Can that's, we talk about the surrealist bow? Yeah. So God like God. so that's so so it's a very surreal magical performance. So that's like the ultimate thing that I'm trying to build to. And it was built out of the concept of if you did not have to worry about reputation making a profit, budgets, uh, you know, all the things things that like, you know, limit a lot of artistic performances, what would that look like? And so I've developed this whole entire show 
that's or like having to bring in audiences or any of this stuff. And I've created this whole entire experience that it's a, it's a fully immersive experience where the actual experience is a trick. The whole entire experience is a full on illusion from from when you first are introduced to the concept to when you finally leave the whole entire show. It's it's meant to be set up as a dream sequence experience, right? And and it's a collaborative nature of of immersive performance and actual magic and the things that I do. So that's a secret hush hush project I'm working on. Right now, ultimately, <laughs> my dream thing is to actually be, is to evolve to the point of where, like I'm doing the immersive stuff, I'm doing all of this stuff, but I'm also still a very traditional romantic, and I would love to go back and, and star in just a standard theater show. <laughs> but use the subtlety and talents that I've learned in all this immersive stuff to create it as a more captivating role. So like, you know, my dream show is to be like an eight and a half. Or my dream show is to be like a like a stage version of eight and a half. That's where it started. Really? It started as a play. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Fellini's eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Was so a play. it's a play. Yeah. And so um, Antonio Banderas has been in it. George Clooney's been in it. Uh, has started in it. I, a couple other guys have like re- Javier Bardem, I think, may have started in it. Huh. But yeah, so they started in the stage version of it, right? So like a play like that, like I would love to be in that, or uh, Don Quixote, right? The Man from La Mancha. Like, I would love to be in the lead in that show. Uh, and I think it would be interesting to do that because I've worked so long in this, like, being breaking the fourth wall of doing all of these things of what would that translate into if that wall was put back up? How do those skills translate into creating this more vibrant, fulfilled role? I'm still wrapping my head around seeing George Clooney do eight and a half right? as a play. I've always wanted to, but yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, so that would know. be How like... How can we make that happen? Do you know any, like, theater production companies locally? Uh, there are a couple theater production companies that there is a chance I'll be working on a couple different plays, like standard plays, later this year. Uh, I just have a lot of immersive projects I'm working on right now <laughs> that I won't be free until... Forever from now. November. <laughs> but, okay. yeah, I mean, like, but that would be the ultimate goal is to go back into traditional theater and mm. just see how you can translate the stuff that we're doing to push the envelopes to break down the comprehension of, of art and performance right now and what that looks like on a standard stage. Hmm. Breaking it down to put it all back together To so put it all back together again, yeah. Got and, it. You know, I like Picasso. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, how do you create emotion again? Like, I've always, I love performing and I love how emotional people get in standard traditional plays and, and theater. And so I want to do that, but I think, like, having immersive performers go back into that creates a whole entire other complexity and nuance of emotion that you know you don't get by doing it on stage with your fellow actors you only right. get it when you're interacting with people in that world interesting interesting well we could probably continue go on, on for, for forever but you have to edit this down into something manageable. right i gotta you know gotta gotta keep it reasonable reasonable um yeah only an hour and 28 minutes no big deal so we're recording again. All right, yes, so let's talk about the sensuality. Right to okay. sensuality. Because that's the thing we didn't really talk about with yeah. the sensuality. So, but, so with the performance, so from the performance perspective, right, and, and when we're talking about the circus and the sensuality of all that and, and the theater performing that I'm doing and the communities that I'm in, like, it's really challenged, it's challenged me as, as a man and, and as an artist, right? Because now I work with a lot of, like, 
communities where there's a lot of LGBTQ performers that I work with, or okay. there's communities where there's a lot of sensuality that's created with it, or like the roles that I'm cast into are these roles of these, you know, of the Pied Piper type of thing, you know, where like I have to <laughs> and be there's like... there's a lot of beautiful women, yeah, you know, like the aerialist yeah, world. Very, very beautiful women, you know, and I have to be like this Lothario and do all of these things, but I also have to really, you know, like we talked about before, like being very, very physically intimate with men like not having sex with them but being in those like vulnerable situations with other men and things is that it's really challenged I think it's made me more open to this stuff and I think it's made me stronger but it's really been challenging like a lot of those definitions and norms of everything right because like masculinity is you're working on my motorcycle (laughs) you know that's always what it's been but now masculinity to me is is the ability to have emotional and physical connection with another man right or to be able to do things in a very sensual feminine way you know that is also very strong do you think have you been able to notice how that has actually translated to you as a sexual person yes very much so like i i have reaffirmed (laughs) that i'm very monogamous in my life like that's something that's very i value and very important to me but i've also now been open to understanding what it means to have multiple partners at once and and feel that but i've also felt like as a sexual being i i feel that because i'm more aware of my body it it puts a focus on me wanting to be more aware of other people's bodies and like Mm. how movement works and things move back and forth and playing that game right because like you have the dating game or you have like the physical touch game and like my job is to make people comfortable comfortable, right that's my whole entire role that's my career and so how can i push those envelopes and it's really interesting using professional for personal gain this is where it's like (laughs) you know you don't want to get into it but like i've learned how to do that in a way that anybody I'm talking to most of the time it doesn't work all the time I'm still learning it but like I've created subtle nuances where I can get to the point of where I can be very physical with someone very quickly mm-hmm. you know I can I can do but as someone things. who's a monogamous who has chosen who's discovered that they really are a monogamous uh-huh. person like <clears throat> and yet your job is to like be very intimate and comfortable with people yeah, it's a... It's That's a, an interesting bridge. Tell us about it. It's a, well, it's a really, really interesting bridge because a casually dating and stuff, right? That's totally fine. That's what it is. And, like, as a performer, like, that's awesome. But when I'm in a monogamous relationship, it creates a challenge because, you know, again, not having separated roles of magician, not magician. Like, I'm constantly in that 24-7 of, of constantly flirting of... of creating that dialogue of, of really engaging with people on a very very deep and sincere level and that's part of who I am I love that I love you're also a Gemini yeah I'm also a Gemini like I love making eye contact with people I love having conversations and, and talking deeply with other people about things that they're passionate about um but that also is a curse because then it's right. like how do you like how, how do you, you separate it yeah and have this be a very special little space right how do you create those barriers of where you don't allow things to go too far with people Right, that you don't intentionally do because again I, I, I also being a Gemini I'm a very ego driven being so I'll let things go you know where they need to and then again because my whole entire career now is so sensual like it doesn't feel like that but it's as sensual as like any burlesque dancer I've met it's as sensual as any you know right. other person who's sensual on stage like I'm emotionally sensual right mm-hmm. I'm physically sensual in, in, 
intimate contact with someone else. How do you nourish, now that you have like created this muscle of like, I am a sensual being, my life is very sensual, like there's still the element of nourishing that, like beyond just like the performance, like how do you continually like enjoy it and nurture it and water it in a way that is beyond like this is my job, I am performing. Yeah, I, I think that there's, and I, I, you know, again, I'm always interested in talking to other performers about it, but for me, it's it's a lot of protection of vulnerability. Mm. So it's being vulnerable up to a point, or being open up to a point, but that vulnerability that you have with certain partners, like for me, that's very reassuring and fulfilling when I have those partners that I can be vulnerable with, I can completely let go with and create like a very emotional, deep connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part about it is is recognize again when I was talking about multitasking, right, and doing all those things. It's recognizing which ones are multitasking for the performance and which ones are truly exploring with someone else, mm-hmm. right. And and this is one of the few times in my life where I can compartmentalize and very very create those like separations of like if I'm in this experience with someone and I want them to be a partner there isn't a facade of trying to get an intentional with it. It's that exploration of being in the moment. It's mm-hmm. this weird, like, using my career to personally fulfill myself because, again, it's finding that magic, right? It's finding that spark or whatever it is. But for that, in that moment, it's me being in that moment rather than me trying to create that for other people. Mm, being in your body, in the right. present. Like, this is for me. Right. Right. But, right. I mean, that must be interesting because it's... It, it, for you to be receiving, to be willing to be receiving. It's really challenging because even when I'm performing, I'm really receiving too, right? Like I am dictating the experience, but ultimately I'm trying to create the experience for me, for everyone, for me too. Mm. And so when I'm in this personal fulfillment moment, right, it is hard to let that go. And it is hard to just be in that moment and experience it because I, I do want to still control it. I still want to be <laughs> in that experience, you know, I still want to fulfill it. Like I, I am creating a yes, illusion. I'm 100%, you know, I've now realized I'm 100% monogamous and I'm the dom. You know, I'll never be the submissive. Like, I know those two things about me. Wow. You know? That's, I, that's a lot. And, but again, like, this is why I love having a creative career that I do now is because I don't have to feel like I have to compartmentalize and separate, right? Like, mm. the, I do, there are limits I have to put in everything, but my personal being is expressed through my art and my art is expressed through my personal being Mm. and so it's nice to have that uh nice let's say it's fucking fantastic right it's very yeah it's it's a stew most people it's a stew it's not oil and water it's a stew which is (laughs) really nice it's a jus yes nice little jus (laughs) um what would you say like in speaking to the audience in the men that are out here and they're struggling with the idea of you know, opening up and getting onto the path of discovering who they are sexually, yeah. or just even making even the slightest amount of space for that. What would you say? Give them a tool, give them a technique, give them inspiration. Uh, so this was the really interesting thing, uh, and this kind of, so there's a story that goes with this, but when I, when I was dating, so I had an ex-fiance, and part of why we didn't work was because she's a very traditional human being. She wanted to be, you know, nine to five, comfortable nine to five living comfortably in the house very very square you know a dog kids blah blah blah, and all that stuff you wanted to marry her and yeah i was in love with her it was high school sweetheart right okay so we were in love 
but she was very, very jealous. And when I started to become wanting to explore who I am of creatively, right? And it feels exactly like I would if I was coming out, like saying, I want to be a magician. It felt the exact <laughs> same way as coming out. Um, Mom, dad. Yeah. Not I'm to like, yeah, not like not to belittle like any of that stuff because I think it's like really powerful for people to do that. Right. But it's a very vulnerable but to be an artist, yeah, to the expression of it. I am willing to be this person, yeah. and it's not safe. Yeah, like the first time I went out to New York, I was invited to go and uh, perform as a host with a all female cabaret troupe. Ooh. So it was run by females, and it was danced and performed, and I was the only man in the show. And so it was, like, me hanging out with, like, 15 very beautiful, very <laughs> naked girls most of the time, right? Like, this is amazing. Yeah, and, like, having, like, and seeing that, like, female intimacy, right, of that, like, friendship that kind of turns a little sexual, like, when it's hanging out and stuff and being brought into that community of, of sensuality and, and sexuality so openly that, like, if I was dating her, like, I would have never gotten that experience, mm. right? We would have never done that because she would have hated it. She would have been jealous of me for it. And looking back on it, like, I love her to death, and, you know, we made amends, and, and we talk occasionally and stuff still, but, like, looking back on it, one of the things that, like, it's a really hard thing to do, but it's a really important thing to do, of, like, accepting that little... The piece of yourself that needs to be freaky. That needs to be freaky, that needs to be okay with that, and surrounding yourself with people who understand that, and not going to the extreme of being, like, a normal... I think that that was a big thing for me, was I got subtly introduced everything there was no overwhelming of it i got to take each step that i needed to at the moment i needed to mm. and i think for a lot of men and, and for people in general it's that's how it is we all think we have to go to these extremes mm. right and so for me to be able to explore this stuff it happened in in moments that i was ready for and i was able to take that like subtle leap to do that and that subtle growth to do it you know i i talked to a lot of my friends who did who would have a threesome and they say it completely destroyed their friendships or completely destroyed their sexual intimacy and things like that. And, and the consistent theme I hear from all of this stuff is because you, you dive too fast, too hard into it. You don't allow yourself that opportunity to really grow into what's comfortable and what's not comfortable. You know, like I tried seriously to do the polyamory thing and I realized it's not something for me, mm -hmm. you know. But I didn't do it by saying 100% I'm going into this. I, you know, I took little steps into it. I've casually dated multiple people at once, you know. I met someone who wanted to date someone else at the same time. We had the conversation about it. And I'm not opposed to it, but I just know it's not for me. Yeah. But I don't feel guilty for that, right? I don't feel like I have to be monogamous or poly or because I'm very sensual and I like BDSM and all this other stuff that I have to be poly. You know, and like all these other little things here all, and there. Yeah, that it all comes Yeah, it's together. an all or nothing. Yeah. Right? It's it's that exploration. And like that's what I would tell people is like take the small moments. Let the small things happen mm. to grow into the bigger experience. And like even me as a magician, it was like, you know, I would have never got to the magic castle had I thought that I was doing large-scale illusions when I first started doing magic. It was mm. doing one trick and learning a couple things and growing into that and growing as a performer and doing these things and scaling it to a place where I feel comfortable doing that. You know, I feel comfortable getting naked on stage now. Whereas, like, had I started in magic, would have never done that in a heartbeat. But now, you know, I have a full entire magic trick where I uh, am hand-tied in a full suit, and a sheet goes up, and by the time the sheet comes down, I am in fishnets and, you know, a thong, and, all, and still hand-tied. Like, no way I could have gotten it off that fast. 
you know, but wait, that's... Wait, wait, what performance is this? Oh, that's what I do with cabaret stuff. Don't oh. worry about it. <laughs> In New York. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, stuff like that is... It was allowing myself to take those small risks to get to the big rewards instead of feeling like I had to jump straight into it. Hmm. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's a good tool. That's a good mindset. Yeah. And, you know, and also accepting, like, the balance of femininity and masculinity. I'm a very, very feminine person, and I struggled with that a lot growing up. Like, people thought I was gay my whole entire life. You know, I have very um, feminine gestures. There are certain things that, like, people always just assumed with it, and it was always seen as a weakness to me. And now I'm in, in a whole entire career field where that's a full strength that I have. Being able to have that feminine aspect to me has really helped me I think as a performer and, and, and create the things I want to create. Mm-hmm. Whereas had I been overtly masculine and tried to live that life, never. never. But you still got a motorcycle out of it. Yeah, I mean, I still am going to be a man. Like, I'm still <laughs> going to be a guy, you know? But I don't have to feel like I'm beholden to that, right? And I don't, right. I, like, I can be pretty, you know? Uh, like, I... My, I, I want to do boylesque this year. You know, I, I want to, I, I love doing drag. I think it's a super fun experience, you know, and stuff to do. <laughs> and I don't have to feel guilty about that. I have high cheekbones. It works out really well for makeup. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to, like, look at his face, like, try and see the... It's high cheekbones. I look, <laughs> yeah, I look really good as a girl. And, you know, but it's, like, things like that of, yeah, just being in this creative life, like, it allows me to have that opportunity to explore that stuff mm. and, and be okay with it. You know, and be okay with my femininity, which I think has now really helped me elevate my career. And in romantic relationships, like having that kind of stuff too, like has really helped me feel like I can be a better lover and and do these things with my partners because there's nothing holding it back and there's ways that I get to explore that I think because you have released the shame. Yeah, I've released the shame, and I think in more masculine community, you know, they don't have that opportunity to explore that right you know because they're like holding on to like i've got to be like this yeah i got to be like this this has to happen and like yeah i like i said like i love being the dom and those types of like really sensual experiences <laughs> but it's because i've learned the ins and outs of it and now when i do it it's not being done because it's expected of me it's not being done because i need this release of control and all this other stuff it's done because it wait a minute what? you're 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 a dom really hardcore um but i mean usually though if you're like a dom in your regular life right control 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 control. right you want to be a submissive in that life nope nope take this shit away from me nope i'm still very very dom straight through wow it's um good for you yeah but i mean like it's something that i know about myself and 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 i can do it because then it becomes an exploration with my partner Right, so rather than usually how we perceive it is, is a dominance over a partner, right? Because I think that that's what happens with a lot of men when they try to be masculinely sensual, is mm-hmm. they have to dominate their partners, mm-hmm. right? That's when you get the jackhammering. That's when you get, <laughs> you know, the, the, the uh, money shots, familiar. you know, the things like yeah. that, right? Now, yes, I am in control still in, in those experiences, and yes, I'm doing that, but it's an exploration with my partner and it becomes way more intimate and way more central, you know, of control and relinquishing control, things like that, rather than it feeling like Jack Cameron, mm. you know? Mm. Wow. I'm still just 
like wrapping my head around like being in control truly all the time. Magician man, it's part of <laughs> okay. part of what we do. All right. It's part of part okay. of our experience. There you have it. Um, okay, if we can, this this could be again like for hours. So edit it. Yeah. So all right. We can edit it down. We'll also be on season two. Okay. Cool. Bye. Um.